for those songs. Appreciate, oh, to be like thee, precious Redeemer. It's my desire, and I think it's all of our desires. An old song, but it's when you sing it and look at those words, it's, it's powerful. This morning, Lyle is uh, at Calvary Chapel, and uh, he has a message for them this morning in Michigan, so we want to pray for him as well. So let's, let's bow our heads and ask God to join us here and that he would be with them and those at Cornerstone as well. Lord, we, we come before you this morning, Lord, as we open your word. Lord, the, our eyes can be blind if you do not, do not open them. Our hearts are whole, cold and hard if you do not soften them. So, Lord, we ask this morning that you would do all those things. Open our eyes, Lord. By your Holy Spirit, fill us. Fill this place, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. And show us, Lord, the way that you would have us to live and move and be. Guide us, Lord, in our thinking. Guide us in our interpretations of the scripture and how we apply those things in our lives and in our families. Be with Lyle up at Calvary Chapel and Lloyd at Cornerstone. Lord, wherever your people are gathered today, I pray that you would show yourself strong for your glory and for the kingdom's sake, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning I, uh, is a continuation of a message that I started some time ago. It was, I actually looked back to see when uh, it was in October of last year, so several months ago. If you remember, um, there was a message that had um, been uh, stirring in my mind, and, it, and I started that message with the message on the three chairs, where we had, if you recall, three chairs up here and and uh, the message that um, Bruce Wilkinson um, used the idea of the three chairs. Living, we're living on one of those chairs. The third chair being someone that doesn't care about God, has no interest in spiritual things. And the second chair being someone that knows about God, but uh, he's compromised in his belief in God. And the chair number one was the one that was fully committed to the Lord and... and, and um, following his ways, chair number one. This is where we want to be is chair number one. Um, and that was, that whole message came from how do I pass on the faith to my children? That's where that message generated from. And we didn't really get to that point, so I want to follow up here as, and, and I titled this message, Passing on the Faith. And as I studied, I realized, you know what, I, I don't know who the, I'm the person that should be up here speaking on this. I have failed in so many ways. But let's learn together. We're, we're in this together as a body of believers here at Sandy Ridge. We're in this together, and we want to pass on our faith to our children. Is there something we can do as parents to assist in passing on that faith? Not more than our traditions, more than, more, more than Mennonite, Mennonitism. That's not what we're necessarily passing on. We're passing on how to live out the scriptures of, from, a, from an Anabaptist worldview. How do we do that? And 
I think this has been something that maybe has been in my mind for some time as I was studying and looking back over past messages. I uh, saw that in, in 2011, 12 years ago, I had a, written a little writing on a, a healthy uh, healthy families. And I, so I, this is what I wrote. I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little portion of this. America is consumed with healthy living. If you, back in 2011, I must have Googled it because I said a Google search for healthy living generated 640 million sites that you could go visit about healthy living. And we, we're, we're consumed with exercises and diets and, and cholesterol and all these things for healthy physical living. The list goes on. And by the way, it was in 2011, it was 640,000 sites. I, just for curiosity, I Googled it yesterday, and there's 2,710,000,000 sites now that come up when you Google healthy, living healthy. That's mind-boggling. If you would visit 1,000 of those sites a day, you just, I'm going to learn about living healthy, and you'd do 1,000 of those sites a day, to learn, it would take you 7,000 years to read them all. So we'll, it's, it's so much information out there, but we're not talking about healthy living physically this morning. When it comes to the, to the family, the American family, we're in a serious crisis. And the Mennonite church, the, their Anabaptist families are not far behind. The diet, the spiritual diet that we feed, these are, these are things I had written 12 years ago, the diet, the spiritual diet we have for our families has caused us to become weak and anemic. And weak families make weak churches. So this morning, my message is for that concern that we, we don't want to have weak churches. We don't want to have weak families. We want to have strong churches and strong families. What can we do to make that? So that is still the question today. What can I do to pass on the faith that I have that I have chosen for myself, how do I pass that on to my children? One of the greatest in Scripture, um, we call it the Great Commission. And that, help me out, what, how do we, what is the Great Commission? Someone. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, it says in Matthew. In Mark, it says a little bit different. He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. What a, what a wonderful... It's, then he says, but he that believeth not, he shall be damned. That's in Mark. Wow, that's powerful. Matthew goes on... Matthew goes on in, in verse 20 of 28, says that teaching them to observe all things, all things, teaching them, teaching, that's the word that I wanted to focus on there, teaching them to observe all the things that I've taught you. So there is a process of discipleship and teaching that happens when, when we go out into the world. And why, why is this such a critical mandate to go into the world, to teach others about Jesus, our Savior? Well, the reason is because without Jesus, they are lost. They're, they're eternally lost. I was listening to a person expounding on 
2 Thessalonians this past week. And that is, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 is where it speaks of Jesus coming back with his angels. And, and it says in verse 8 there that in a flaming fire taking vengeance on them, this is who he's going to take vengeance on, on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who's going to, that's, he's going to take vengeance on them. They know not God and they obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ who will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. That's why it's such a critical mandate that we tell others about Christ because if they do not know God, if they do not follow after Jesus Christ, they will suffer eternally everlasting destruction. And our immediate, our immediately our minds go out to the world, the eight billion people that live in the world today, how many of them are lost? Most of them are lost. Eight billion people. I'm going to pause here. A little pop quiz. How, does someone know how many seconds there are in, in a day? Guess. Yeah, he's got it. Very good. Good memory. 86,400. So if there are 86,400 seconds in a day, to, to have a million seconds, how, how many days would that take? Any guesses? 11 days. Okay. 11 days. That's right. 11 and a half days would take for a million seconds to pass. There's 8 billion people in the world. So what if, if 11 days is, is a million, how many days would it take to do a billion? Any guesses? Brian, I don't think you should guess. <laughs> Go ahead, Brian. It's, it's uh, 31, 31 and a half years, 31 and, and three-quarter years. 31, so we go from 11 days for a million, 31 years for a billion. We have 8 billion people out there that, that need to know about the Lord. That, that's mind-boggling to me to think of how many people there really are in the world. Million is a drop in a bucket compared to a billion. And we have 8 billion people, a staggering number of people that do not know the Lord, many of them. And it says, go you into the world. Go you into the world and tell them about Christ. We're called to do that. But before we do that, what about the world of the people that are sitting around you right now? Do you know what's happening in their lives? Do you, do you, do you ask them how they're doing? Do you care about how they're doing in the world of the people that live around you at Sandy Ridge? Do we care? Let's narrow it down even further. What about the world that's living around your dinner table? your children. You may think that God has called you to the eight billion, and he may have, but he has first called you to your children. That is your first mission field. And that's the first place that God has asked us to share the gospel with. The most highest, the most, the most important and the highest calling in our lives, fathers, and mothers, is to consider our children.
Think about it. If we'd make it to glory, by the grace of God, we make it to glory, and we look around, and our family is missing. What a tragedy of tragedies that would be. Our first mission field is our family, and we want to pass on the faith. God knows us so well. He created us. He knows us so well. He knew that there would be those that, that don't care about God, and they're in chair number three, and there are those that are okay with being in chair number two, but there are a few, there are a few that choose to live in chair number one. The Scripture says that straight is the gate and narrow is the way. That's chair number one. We're not here to judge anyone. It's not, that's not in our place. But if, we're, if we are on the journey, let us not think that there are many ways to get there because the way is narrow, the Scripture is clear, and few there be that find it. And we want our families to find that narrow way. And God also knew that in order for our families to know the way, that we must teach them or they will miss it. They don't, it's not something that comes by osmosis. It doesn't just happen. It, it, we need to teach our children. And if we want our children to live in chair number one, we need to start teaching from chair number one. That's the only way that it'll happen. Throughout the scriptures, God has instructed us to teach our children, not only to teach our children, but our children's children. Genesis 18. I love the story of Genesis 18. It's where, it's where God sent angels down. Abraham is living in the plain of Mamre, and, and, and God sends angels down, and they're walking along the way, three of them, and they stop and commune with Abraham, if you remember that story. They're on their way to check out Sodom and Gomorrah, and, um, and Abraham entertains them, and then he, uh, they get up to leave, and two of them take off down the road towards Sodom and Gomorrah to see if these things are so. But one stops, and he questions in himself, should I keep this thing from Abraham that we are about to do? I believe this was the pre-incarnate Christ. And he says, because it calls him Lord, and, and he says, should I keep from Abraham the thing that we're about to do? Why would he have questioned that even for Abraham? There was no reason why he would have to let Abraham know, but he questioned it. And the scripture actually tells us why he questioned it. For I know that he will be a great nation, great and mighty nation. And then it also says this, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. God knew that Abraham would teach his children. And because of that, that was important enough to him that he said, you know what, I, don't, I have this thing that I'm going to do, but I should probably let Abraham know because he's going to be following me. That's how much importance God puts on teaching our children. I know him that he will command his children and his household after him and they shall keep the way of the Lord. What amazing proclamation that God sees the efforts we put into teaching our children. We have in Deuteronomy 6, that's our verse for this chapter for this morning, Deuteronomy 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 is the place where we have clear instruction on 
how this should happen. Deuteronomy 6, I'm going to read the first eight verses. We, this is a familiar passage, and, and, but it is, it is, it is where, we, where we need to start. It's where we need to start from chair number one. And uh, so I'm going to read chap, uh, chapter 6, Deuteronomy 1 through, 1 through 8, and then we're going to take three points out of that. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, the judgments which the Lord our God, your God, commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons, all the days of thy life, that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that thou may increase mightily, as the Lord that Lord of thy fathers, the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down and when thou risest up, thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. I have three points this morning, and probably doesn't even close, come close to covering all the aspects of teaching our children and passing on the faith. But number one, we need to own it. Number one is we need to own our faith. We need to own it. If we're going to pass it on to our children, we need to own it. And if we're going to pass it on, we need to teach it intentionally, methodically. We need to be engaged and teach it if we want to pass on our faith. And if we want to pass on our faith, then we need to be willing to fight for our faith. Those are the three points I'd like to talk about this morning coming from Deuteronomy here. Number one is we need to own it. In the beginning of, the, of Deuteronomy here, it says that, um, that the commandments and the statutes that, uh, which the Lord commanded to teach you, verse 1, that you might do it. If we're going to do it, we need to know it. We need to understand it. We need to be willing to do it. That you can fear the Lord and keep His statutes and His commandments. Verse 3, and observe to do it. Why? Because verse 4, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you're, we're to love him with all our heart, soul, and might. We need to own it. It's, it's, it's the faith that we know God has called us to. We need to own it. We need more Joshua's who, who, who said that, choose ye day, this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's the Joshua mentality. We're going to serve the Lord. Often we know what's right. We know what, what we should be doing. But we lack the fortitude. We lack the, the zeal to accomplish it. Maybe the motivation. 
that, that burning within to please the Lord, I will do it regardless because I own it. The apathy is alive and well in our flesh. We want to we just don't want to do anything sometimes. I know that feeling. We could sit and do nothing. But if we see Jesus as he is, if we, if we retrieve that, that first love that like we should have, like he commanded the church in Ephesus to get back that first love and then get back to and start worshiping him like we ought to and living and doing and being the person that God intended for us to do that is owning our faith. And, and, and our children will see that and they will appreciate that. The love, the unselfish love of God that he sent his son, sacrificed his son for us. And we see and comprehend the, 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 the love and fullness of that, then we will begin to love God and it compels us to love not only God but others around us. Owning our faith. Owning our faith is being unashamed of our faith. Unapologetic for our faith. Do you ever feel like you need to apologize for being an Anabaptist Christian? Romans has several verses that talk about being unashamed. It says, Whosoever believeth on him shall, shall not be ashamed. And it also says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Unashamed of the gospel. Unapologetic. I've heard it said. I've heard it said amongst ourselves. Or at least insinuated that uh, it's hardly worth bringing anyone to church because, well, you know, the culture, our culture holds them back. Listen, fathers. If you find the Anabaptist culture too difficult to follow after, if you find Sandy Ridge, I wrote this down. I, I feel, it feels strong to me now that I'm saying it, but this is, what I, this is what I wrote down in my notes here. If we find the culture to be too difficult for someone else to see Christ in me, then we have, there either is major, major doctrinal things we need to be talking about, or else deep down inside there's something within me that's a little bit ashamed to be different from the world. And I don't want anybody else to like point that out in me. I will not be ashamed or apologetic for following Christ. I will not. Unashamed. If we have an attitude against or towards the church, our children will know. They will know. And they will also have that attitude against the church, probably more intensely than you do. And if we chafe against the authority of the church, against leadership constantly, we've had these discussions at our men's meetings, brothers. You know what I'm talking about. But if it's happening, then we are teaching our children, and they also will resist authority and eventually they will resist your authority because that's what they're learning. It's okay to resist that. We need to own our faith. Find the principles in God's Word. We've listed them out in our 
practice of guiding principles, principles in God's Word. How do I live that out? How do I live that out? How do I implement these, these, these principles in God's Word? And often, we chafe at that application. How do we, we chafe at the application? And many times it's we chafe because we don't value the principle. Owning it means living out the gospel with joy. Hebrews 12 says this, of Jesus, of Jesus, speaking of Jesus. It begins out by saying, we, we, we know this scripture, Hebrews 12.1, Wherefore, seeing that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and, and the sin which, sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the Father. They mocked him. They scourged him. They, 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 they tortured him. They crucified him. But for the joy that was, he, he, he with joy endured the cross. How? That, that's amazing. And we're called not, not to a literal cross. We're not called to a literal cross, but we're called to take our cross daily and follow after him. Can we do that with joy? If we do that with joy, that's compelling. Our children will see that. And they see that we own it. And they too will take up their cross and follow with joy. That's noteworthy. If we want to pass on our faith, we need to, do, we need to own it. Number two is we need to teach it. Intentionally teach it. Here in, in, um, in, our, in our Deuteronomy scripture, it says that teach them diligently unto thy children. And it says that, um, that we should talk about them. Talk of them when thou, when thou sittest down in thy house. And when you walk by the way, whenever you're going, you're talking about them. And when you lie down and when you rise up, it's an all-day program. As parents, we are, it's 24-7, seven days a week. There is no vacation teaching our children, and that's okay. That's okay because we are on a mission, and that mission field is our children, the salvation of our children. We talk about why. We teach, and we talk about the moral reasons why we do the things that we do. It's not just rules. There's a reason behind here. There are reasons why we do what we do. Keniston likened it to a potter uh, that's molding clay. I, we actually, I brought a bowl with me. While we lived in Nicaragua, we, uh, we visited a man a couple hours south of, I met him there in the city where we lived, and uh, he lived several hours south of us, and I asked him if I could go visit his shop, and he had, he, this is a bowl that he made actually, and um, he would take a lump of clay. He lived in an area that had red clay, and he would go out into the fields and dig it out, and he'd cover it up, and it, had, it, was, it was a good consistency to make pottery out of, and he made all sorts of bowls and pots and jars, and, and uh, we went and visited him at his house. I expected that there would be like a little factory because of all the bowls that he had, but it was, it was uh, yeah, well, it was pretty, pretty rustic, and uh, he had this turntable that he would spin these on and he had a big flywheel on the, at the bottom that he would shove with his foot and he'd get that thing going and he would turn these things out of a lump of clay 
and he would turn it out, and then he would fire up a, 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 an oven and, and fire them and paint them and all that. Interesting. Our children are like that clay. They're, they're, the clay is, when they start working with it, it's moldable and shapeable. It's soft, and you can shape it into any shape that you want to, any vessel that you would like. But the day will come when it will start to become a little bit more rigid and, and it's not as flexible. And eventually, you put the pressure on, it crumbles and breaks. We need to be diligent with our children when they're moldable and shapeable and soft. And they learn and they want to be like us. Bend their hearts towards the Lord. What a privilege we have to bend their hearts towards the Lord. Our culture, the digital culture, the media that we have today has made it difficult to do what, when it talks about when you sit down and rise up and when you walk and talk, we have so little time with our children anymore to give these instructions. When do we sit down and talk? As they get older, it gets even harder. Sit down and talk. When do, when do we take walks and talk about and focus on things of life? Do we go to bed and get up in the morning at the same time? A lot of times we don't because we're so busy with our jobs. When do our paths cross so that we can teach our children why we live the way we do? We need to teach. We need to take time to create those times of teaching and instruction. Even when they're older, to discuss the whys of the principles that we follow. This is why. That's being intentional. We need to own it and we need to teach it. Otherwise, they will miss it. Number three is we need to be willing to fight for the faith. What do I mean, what do I mean by that? There are so many things today that are attacking the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We think it's they're attacking other things maybe, but... They're, they're attacking the gospel of Jesus Christ. They call us intolerant when we have faith and we live by our faith. Are you willing to take that abuse? Are you willing to stand firm for Jesus Christ? They want us to be inclusive like anybody. It is true that anyone can come to the faith, but Jesus said that it's only those that follow after him the rest he doesn't know. Our children are watching our responses. When someone asks us a question about my faith, how do I respond? Do I have a good answer? Do I know why I believe what I believe? Do I have an answer ready for the hope that lies within me? Or am I stumped? Do I blame the church? They're watching It takes us back to the beginning. If we're gonna, if we're gonna, if we're gonna have a fight for our faith, then we need to be at point number one. We need to own it. We need to know why we believe what we believe. We need to know that that, and we need to be obeying the commandments of the Lord and doing the commandments of the Lord and loving with our hearts, everything within us, our might, our soul, everything. That's when we can learn how to fight for the for our faith. We want, there's many that would want to put Christianity on as an accessory. Live our lives just normal, go to jobs and do our work, and Christianity is a thing that we put on as an accessory. 
But that, this is the most important thing that we have to do, is to pass on our faith, to live out our faith. What does it profit a man should he gain the whole world and lose his soul? You might be wealthy. We might, we might even experience luxury. But there will be a day of reckoning coming as we heard about in, Th- in Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, when Jesus will come and those that did not follow his commandments, they will be forever separated from him. But not only if we gain the whole world and lose our soul, but what if we gain the whole world and lose our family? That would be a tragedy. Is it worth being successful by worldly standards and losing our family? It's one of the One of the tragedies of our day is talented men, good men, successful in business. Some of of them are successful in in ministry, and they lose their families at the expense of their families. It doesn't have to be that way, friends. Fighting for our faith. Caleb and Joshua. When Caleb went into the land to spy out the land, and Moses sent him in there to spy out the land, the, the, the promised land. He was 40 years old. 40 years old. In uh, a couple, 40-some years later, Joshua chapter 14, it says that Joshua, they're, they're ready to go in now and, and take the land. Joshua 14:11. He says, I just, I'm impressed with Joshua, with Caleb and Joshua. Caleb here was saying that, he said that, I am yet as strong this day as it was the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now. For war both to go out and to come in. Now therefore, give me this mountain, is what Caleb said. Give me this mountain wherefore the Lord spake unto me in that day, for thou hearest, thou heardest in that day how, how the Anakins were there, and the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. They waited 40 years in the desert. Most of them died. Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that crossed over. And now they're going to get those, the promised land. We're promised this land. Here you go. But they didn't go and just go. They had to fight against the enemies. There was resistance there. And friends, that's the way it is with our faith. There's going to be resistance. We're not promised easy. There, we, we're told that it will be hard. There may even be persecution, opposition, and we need to face it. God has a mountain before us, and he will help us to know what to do to conquer that mountain. With God's help, we can do it. Jude, the book of Jude Chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Beloved, when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, and then he says, It is needful me to write unto you and exhort you that you earnestly contend for the faith. You earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. There's times when we recognize what's right. 
And by our actions, we contend for the faith. And our friends and our children see that. Actions are louder than words. Timothy said, I fight the good fight of faith. And later, in 2 Timothy, he says, I have fought a good fight. Those are all the same words, the same root word, fighting for the faith. I've kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, but not for him only, it says. It says, but to all that love the appearing of the Lord. One of the things that is most compelling, that passes on the faith to our children, when we own it, when we teach it, but then when we contend for it, we earnestly contend for the faith. Our children see that. And they know that it was important to us. And they take on that for themselves. Our faith. God is worth contending for our faith. Lord, help us to pass on the faith to our children in the next generation. They are not only the church of today, but they are the church of tomorrow. May the Lord bless the words this morning. Let's stand for prayer. Heavenly Father, May we be like Caleb and say, give me this mountain, Lord. I want to I pass on the faith to my children and to my, to my friends and my neighbors. And then we can go out and face the world, Lord, the eight billion that need to know about you. Help us, Lord, to, to do our work at home first. Give us the strength and the wisdom to do that well. And then give us the heart and zeal to move forward into the promised land, so to speak. You've given us this mountain, Lord. Help us to conquer it. And I ask, Lord, that you would give us wisdom as we do that, as a church here at Sandy Ridge, that we can be a strong church for your glory and for the kingdom's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.